All right. How's everybody doing after the break? Good, yeah? It's kind of weird when we have a, a week off and then come back, getting back into the a routine. I always feel like the first week back is a little like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to stand here. I'm supposed to sit here. So anyway, it's nice to see all your faces again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Holly. Um, it's not a figment of your imagination. I did teach the last time, and I'm teaching again. So every once in a while, they like to just shake things up and you know, do back-to-back -back teachers. So hopefully uh, you're not disappointed that it's not somebody different today. But <laughs> oh, you guys are sweet. You guys are sweet. Oh, I love you guys. All right. Let's go ahead then and continue in the book of Acts. Last, well, last week, I guess two weeks ago, when I typed this up originally, it was still last week, so two weeks ago, we talked about the power of the name of Jesus and the way that that power was moving through the apostles as they allowed the Holy Spirit to use them. We saw Peter and John aligning their hearts with God in prayer and then performing a miracle in Jesus' name. They were open to the Holy Spirit and willing to be used. Peter then, with spiritual boldness and sensitivity, preached a gospel that was tailor-made for his audience, tailor-made for those Jews witnessing a true moving of God who themselves had had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter brings this crowd of devout, temple-going Jews all the way through their own history, their own spiritual fathers, their own prophetic promises right to the foot of the cross where they crucified their Savior. He confronts them directly with their own pride and sin, and offers them an opportunity to repent and find rest in restoration with God the Father. And this bold sharing of the good news of Jesus is going to ruffle some feathers. And that is where we're going to pick up the story today. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in prison until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So Peter is preaching the gospel of Jesus here in the temple courtyard, and the Sadducees are just not having it. They are becoming super annoyed with Peter and John. This is greater than just a normal annoyance. They were probably regular mad about Peter just preaching in general, but they are specifically mad about the content of the message that's being shared. For the Sadducees, they would have felt like the problem of Jesus should have disappeared when he died. The Sadducees in belief rejected the idea of bodily resurrection. Their teachings centered around the idea that there was no afterlife and that death was final. The idea that Jesus would have resurrected would have been problematic for them. However, when they're confronted with the undeniable truth, they choose the lies of their own belief system. They were more comfortable with denying the truth of Jesus and staying in their lane than the notion that they might have been wrong and actually in need of repentance. This is a common response to the gospel. Do you experience that sometimes? Instead of hearing the truth and accepting the reality of sin and accountability, people choose ignorance. They choose to be propped up with easy-to-digest lies. This shouldn't really take us by surprise any more than it did Jesus when he was confronted by these same Sadducees, any more than it did Peter while he was declaring the truth to them here. Regardless, thousands of people were hearing and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These Sadducees, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, 
This was the last thing that they wanted to happen. It was bad enough that Jesus had amassed a huge following of believers prior to his death. They were already envious of that. They thought crucifying Jesus would suppress that following. But here again, the following continues to grow. The problem of Jesus didn't just go away. This has a modern application for us today as believers. The world wants us to go away. We are constantly being told by employers, politicians, the media, social media, celebrities, to be quiet, to stop talking about Jesus, to put away our beliefs. Are we the generation that just goes away? Or are we going to continue to spread the gospel and continue to disciple and continue to not be silent? Are we going to continue to grow or are we going to allow them to suppress us? When it comes to the gospel of Jesus, we have to understand that not everyone is going to be receptive. We wish that this was not the case, but frankly, the gospel just annoys people. It gets under their skin. They are just greatly annoyed even at the name of Jesus, at the mere idea of Christianity. Now, it would be easy for us to respond in like manner, to be annoyed back at those who were first annoyed at us, but this isn't what we're called to do. We're called to love others. We're called to put others first. That means accepting the reality that we might be persecuted for our faith, that we might have others treat us sharply. Excuse me. We're actually promised that this is going to be the case. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who deserve to live a god or desire, excuse me, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Regardless of the amount of pushback we get from the world, though, the instructions to us are still clear. Don't back down from sharing the truth. This is not a calling that we get to neglect if we want to stay inside of God's will. We must be committed to truth even in the midst of persecution. It's also interesting here for us to note that Peter and John did not just roll their eyes and walk away from the Sadducees. They didn't just chalk them up to a bunch of haters that weren't worth the effort. They could have easily done that. After all, these were highly religious men who were completely oppositional to the gospel of Jesus. But instead, Peter and John were able to see through to the heart of these men and recognize that their hatred for the gospel was spiritual. This is the right framework for viewing people who are opposed to the gospel of Jesus, people who persecute believers. Often those people who are the most annoyed, the most combative, are the ones that the Holy Spirit is the most convicting. Now, it's a little country, I'll apologize, but this is the expression that comes to mind when I think about this verse. When you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the hit dog will holler. This basically means that if you throw a stone at dogs, the dog that gets hit with the stone is the one that's gonna start yelping. You know that you hit that dog because he's making noise. When we throw the stone of the gospel into a crowd, the person who is the most negative and hateful to the gospel might very well be the one who is getting hit the hardest with the truth of the gospel. (coughs) The hollering back is a defense against what they are internally, spiritually struggling against, and they may not even realize that. This is an opportunity for us. Instead of us getting annoyed back with them, instead of us responding in defense, We need to view this opposition as an opportunity to pray for that person's repentance and submission. In verse 4, we also get another glimpse of one of the sub-themes of the book of Acts. 
and this is that the gospel of Jesus cannot be contained. No matter how anyone tries to undermine it or stop it spreading, the message of Jesus continues to spread. Throughout Acts, we will see, just like here, when Peter and John are put in prison, that the apostles might be bound, but the word of God never is. Does that not bring us comfort? It isn't really about any one of us. The gospel cannot be contained. We might be individually silenced. We might be temporarily silenced. But the word of the Lord never will be. All right, let's keep moving forward with verses 5 through 7. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were, who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power and in what name have you done this? So this is one of those really cool things that the Bible does sometimes. We're going to, here we have Annas and, excuse me, Annas and Caiaphas questioning Peter and John. Do you remember Annas and Caiaphas? Anybody remember? Hopefully, okay, a couple hands. We're gonna pop back to the Gospels for just a little rabbit trail because this is one of those pieces where when you start going through the the Bible expositionally, and you see just these little like nuggets of goodness that I think God just drops in there for us. John 18, 12, 14. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So Caiaphas was the high priest who was responsible for putting Jesus on trial. He was the one who took him to Pilate to be crucified. Caiaphas was also the high priest who asked Jesus in Mark 14, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas charged Jesus with blasphemy for claiming to be God. Caiaphas instigated the death of Jesus. Caiaphas is even credited with completely missing the point of everything as it was happening right in front of him when he says, most ironically, it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. You want to talk about completely having no idea that the words you're saying are totally prophetic? Right there. There you go. But here again is Caiaphas, annoyed by Jesus and his followers and his gospel, demanding to know by what power has this man been healed, by what name. This is about to get real for Caiaphas, because Peter is not going to hold back. And one final thought before we go back into Acts. Right after Caiaphas interrogates Jesus, Peter is approached by one of Caiaphas' servant girls. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Now, Peter stands not before the servant girl of the high priest, being asked about Jesus, but in front of the high priest himself. Is that not a beautiful picture of redemption? God gave Peter, excuse me, I didn't expect to get choked up right there. God gave Peter this opportunity to make up for that denial. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Peter is now going to take this opportunity to preach another gospel sermon. The Holy Spirit has come upon Peter fresh with new words. 
This is definitely becoming consistent for Peter. I do not think that the timing of Sunday mornings and Pastor Ryan's messages on spiritual gifts is coincidental. If you are wondering what your spiritual gift is, I encourage you to take inspiration from Peter. He stepped out in faith and the Holy Spirit comes upon him over and over with words as he needs them. Peter wasn't idly waiting for revelation. He was abiding day by day with Jesus and trusting that in the moments he needed that extra filling, the Holy Spirit would supply the words to the glory of the Father. Sometimes I think we can look at the apostles and the early church and think that was them then, this is me now. But it is the same power. It is the same spirit. What our country, what our community really needs right now is Christians who are bold for the name of Jesus Christ. We can often be bold in our politics. We can be bold in our convictions. But what people really, really need to hear from you and I is the name of Jesus. Boldness in the name of Jesus. So look at Peter. With boldness, he says, what are we on trial for? A good deed done to a crippled man? If that's the case, though, you need to know that it was done in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, they were not taken surprised by the Sadducees. They weren't like, really, God? We did all the things you asked us to do. How, how could this happen? How could we be arrested? No, that wasn't their response. Why? Because Jesus had prepared them for this. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. Jesus prepared them just like he's preparing us. Because you are following Jesus, you are no longer of this world. You get identified as a Christian, and the world does not affirm you in your faith. They hate you for it. The world will always be aligned against the believer. But this is important. This does not mean that we get to be against the world. We don't get to be anti the people of the world. We don't get to hate them back. We don't love the way of the world, but we sure as heck better love the people of the world. We better have a burden for the lost. We must remember that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So now Peter turns it back on them. Are we on trial for helping this man? He wasn't ashamed. This, this is also important. Never be ashamed of what God has done in your life. The world is going to mock you for those things. Be bold, be unashamed anyway. These men that Peter is preaching to, these were the men who were responsible for murdering Jesus Christ. Peter could have recoiled from that. He could have been nervous or scared or tried to protect himself. He could have backed down. He could have tried to, to come up with an excuse as to what he was doing, but instead he was bold and he doubles down on the name of Jesus. Picking up in verse 11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no name, other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. I'm going to read that one one more time. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no name under heaven by which has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. This is the cornerstone. This is the rock we stand on. This is what we can be bold about, the name of Jesus. This is the only name under heaven by which we are saved. But what about other leaders, other faiths? Don't all roads go to God? Won't God honor someone's sincerity? Nope. (laughs) You can be as sincere as you want with your own truth or your own version of salvation, and you can be sincerely wrong. There is salvation in no one else. Peter again brings them back to their own scripture, to their own spiritual fathers. He quotes Psalm 118, just like Jesus did. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the missing piece to everything they had been waiting for. The Messiah is the missing piece to Judaism. And they rejected him. He came and they denied him. Yet their salvation is still in no one else. Our salvation is in no one else. The name of Jesus brought healing, restoration. The name of Jesus brings our salvation. There is no other name under heaven. There is only the name of Jesus. It is in his name that all authority and power rests. This is why it is so important for us as Christians to fulfill the Great Commission. It is so important for us to have that same boldness, that same spirit. We need to be burdened for the lost. We need to be burdened for our city, for the brokenness around us. We have the name of Jesus. Portland, Gladstone, Milwaukee, Oregon City, Gresham, wherever you live, this This is our city. This is our community to reach. Are we making the best use of our time? Are we making the best use of our interactions? Are we really sharing the name of Jesus? Moving on to verse 13, we see the response to Peter's boldness. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed. They began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. They saw Peter and John exercising their spiritual gifts. Of course, they did not know that this is what they were experiencing. Now, we could excuse this and say, well, they really had no framework to understand that this was the Holy Spirit of God, right? But I honestly think this would just be giving them a pass, letting them off the hook, for what they should have seen, for what they should have known. Because we need to remember that this is the same spirit that moved on the waters at creation. This is the same spirit that gave power to Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Saul. This is the same power that spoke to David and Ezekiel. The spirit might be indwelling in these believers in a new and powerful way, but these men who knew the scriptures should have been able to recognize the spirit of God at work. But they rationalized. These are fishermen, the lowest of the low. They're uneducated. These super educated, super religious leaders standing before them were astounded at the boldness of Peter and John, and they couldn't explain away the healed man. So how did they explain it then? They realized it's Jesus. These fishermen had been with Jesus. Jesus 
was the reason. Jesus was the influencer. The reason they had the boldness was because of Jesus. Simply put, being influenced by Jesus is enough. There are lots of things that we allow to influence us. Some of them are really, really good things. Bible teachers, podcasts, other believers, they're all good things. But being influenced by others who are influenced by Jesus is not the same, and it does not replace being influenced by Jesus yourself. We need to be with Jesus every day. How are you being influenced by the Lord today? It's easy for us to fall back on things that happened in our past. We can get complacent and move forward, operating on some sort of spiritual inertia from something that happened to us years ago, and neglect that daily manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that comes from intentional time with him. (laughs) Spending time one-on-one communing with the creator of the universe, with the one who has the power to save, with the only name under heaven with that power. Give us this day our daily bread. Are we being constantly nourished by the Holy Spirit? Are we being continually influenced by Jesus? Peter and John had a real, tangible, personal relationship with Jesus. They saw him, they touched him, they heard him. But they were also continuing to be influenced by Jesus through the Holy Spirit as they prayed and stepped out in faith and declared his name. Would we have responded like Peter and John? Or would we have prayed for a change in the circumstances, a favorable government, provision, or removal from the situation? So often, are we looking for the difficulty that's before us just to be removed? Or are we praying for boldness to push through it and faithfully declare the word of God? It comes down to small decisions. Having boldness to do big things for Jesus starts with being obedient in small things today. Because bottom line, you will never be willing to die for Jesus tomorrow if you won't live for Jesus today. We can spend so much time thinking about the big things that we would be willing to do for Jesus and completely miss the things that he's asking us to do right here and right now. We should want to emulate Jesus more than anyone else in our lives. There may, may be many people in your life that you look to as a role model, but none of them should be more influential on you. Than Jesus Christ. Now these religious leaders with all their history, power, education, and hypocrisy were looking at these two fishermen, Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated and common, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What does it mean to be recognized as having been with Jesus? Jesus chose to use the common and uneducated, He chooses the foolish things of this world. Merely being with Jesus is enough. God can and will use anyone with an obedient heart who abides in him. As we are with Christ, God can take the foolish things of the world, which, by the way, that's you and me, and confound the wise with them. We should not build up walls or place restrictions on those who can be used by God. We shouldn't build hoops for people to jump through to be qualified. Jesus can and will equip us for everything that he wants to do through us. We should never be looking for the official people in ministry to do the work, or they're the ones that should be doing this. No, we should all be doing this. The Lord is looking for the common, for the uneducated, for the foolish, and he wants to use our lives.
the religious leaders wanted to condemn Peter and John, but when they were looking at the lame man, they couldn't. The fruit of the miracle was obvious. There was not a man standing healed next to them, but there was a man standing healed next to Peter and John. The power of God was obviously with Peter and John. So now they have to decide what to do with these two men. Verse 15, but when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another saying, what are we to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle had taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so it is, so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer of any person in this name. And when they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In a nutshell, we're going to let you guys go. Just don't speak anymore about Jesus. Just stop using the name. Ladies, this is the world we live in today. We are allowed to continue to be a part of society, being free, as long as we are quiet about the truth. As long as we are quiet about the gospel of Jesus. But this, however, this is something that we simply cannot do. We are called to the Great Commission. We are called to suffer with Christ. Backing down from the truth of the word of God is not our purpose. It's not our place. We cannot be silent. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. The leaders of the day thought that they could bully Peter and John into silence. Peter essentially says, either we obey God or we obey you, but we can't not share what we know. We cannot be silent. We need to draw a line in the sand. We need to plant our flag. We need to be obedient to God. It is easy for the world to lie. It is easy for the world to operate unethically. As Christians, we have to be moving in a different direction. When everyone around you is doing the wrong thing, you still need to do the right thing. When you feel like you are standing alone, you need to remember that you are not standing alone. You're standing with Jesus. Sorry, guys, I'm not usually a crier. Um, Peter and John were willing to take a stand no matter what the cost to them personally because they knew that being obedient to God was the most important thing. We need to be seeking to be the person who is going to do the right thing in the eyes of God, to be obedient, to swim against the stream, to take a stand for what is right. Obedience is saying, no matter what, God, I trust you. It's not making decisions based on how it's going to affect us, but what, what is right, even if it costs us everything the world has to offer. The Holy Spirit, we want him to impact our lives, but we don't necessarily want to tap into him to have him impact others' lives through us. That makes us uncomfortable sometimes. It's easy for us to point fingers at the Sadducees and say, how could you miss that this was the same spirit that moved at creation, that moved in Moses and Joshua and Gideon, that moved in Peter and John, but it's the same spirit that moves in us. We can point that wagging finger right back at ourselves when we deny the power of the spirit, when we refuse to step out in the spirit. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about gifts of the spirit, 
We all have them. How many of us can honestly say that we're using them? How many of us shy away from them or try to limit and restrain the Holy Spirit of God from moving in our lives? We can let legalism or our own comfort be the standard instead of just making ourselves open to the moving of the Holy Spirit the way he wants to move. Peter and John had a relationship with Jesus, but they were also seeking that communion daily with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. They were not resting on the experience they had before, but they were constantly and consistently seeking a fresh movement of his power. Peter is seen several times already being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that happens because he had that experience, but because he was bold in seeking it and stepping out into it. He had been with Jesus. He is continuing to be with Jesus. Are we women who others would say have been with Jesus? Is that the characteristic that defines us? I pray this week we all experience an opportunity to be bold in the name of Jesus. I pray that we all have a moment of truth where we have no choice and we cannot be silent. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus, that we have something that we can have such confidence in to know that we can be bold and that you promise to use us, God. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us. We thank you for your spirit moving in us. And we just pray that you would open our hearts to be sensitive to the way that you're moving in each one of us, that you would open doors in our community, that you would open, just bring people around us that are in need of the power of your name, and that you would give us that boldness to just speak the name of Jesus, that we would have no choice, we would just feel so overwhelmed, and it would almost feel like we were just going to be sick if we didn't say the name of Jesus, God. I pray for that just amazing power. And as we go into our groups and we have this time of discussing through the study this week, that um, we would just be open with one another about where we feel the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives or, or where we may have restrained him, God. And I, I just, I thank you for this group of ladies. I thank you for this time that we have together in your precious son's powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen.